welcome to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Welcome, everybody. I have with me today Paige, who has very uh, generously agreed to share her story of recovery from sugar addiction, food addiction. And I'll t- I'll just do a quick little bio. Um, if if literally it could take me 15 minutes to capture the highlights of this fascinating woman's fascinating life because she's had so many different careers. I'll hit you up with a few highlights here. She has been, uh, she spent a decade in broadcast journalism, and then she did a decade in nursing. Uh, She worked in a diabetes research lab. She was in a genetics lab studying circadian rhythms. She's worked for international nonprofits around coordinated disasters. Oh my goodness. She's a certified end of life care doula. She's also a birth doula. She's a health and wellness coach. I mean, I could literally go on. She's also an RN. Um, And she's currently getting board certified in lifestyle medicine, holistic nursing. The bottom line is, is we are in the midst of of a woman who not just personally, but professionally really understands. Um, She understands trauma. She's a trauma survivor. She understands obesity. She was morbidly obese. She has lost 170 pounds. She has put multiple progressive autoimmune diseases into remission, mental illness into remission, PCOS into remission, prediabetes, fatty liver disease into remission, all through an abstinence-based addiction model um, that sort of has recreated a habit-based lifestyle for her that has created massive transformation. And she's, she's here to share her story with us today. Welcome, Paige. Hi, thanks so much for having me here and letting me share that story. Um, our pleasure. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that, you know, I am a survivor of trauma. I am, I am not recovered. I am actively choosing every day to work on a recovery program. I am somebody who, who morbid, ob- you know, or excess adiposity, uh, morbid obesity, whatever that you want to call it, um, is something that I will battle for the rest of my life. It is a journey. It is not a goal. It is not a something I get to say, I have attained this ever, you know, um, and, but we don't ever get to with anything in life. Right. And that doesn't bring happiness. So, um, I think I just wanted to start with saying that, yes, you know, I'm a survivor and I'm choosing to do this. Um, and to the point where, um, I did spend the first decade of my, you know, early adulthood, like from age 18, um, to my late twenties living on disability learning, you know, uh, with PTSD and crippling depression. Um, and I've struggled with excess adiposity my entire life. I became a lifetime member of Weight Watchers in fifth grade. Wow. Sent me off to a fat camp. I'll just call it that. That's terrible. But, um, and in high school, I found anorexia and food restriction, um, as a way, that worked to give me a sense of control over my body. And it worked until I ended up in the hospital at 83 pounds. Um, 
and in adulthood, you know, or th- after that, I really, I ate my way back into the hospital. I ballooned to my highest weight, well over 300 pounds while I was seeing a functional medicine specialist for obesity um, and autoimmune diseases. Um, and, you know, by age 40, I was, I say I was collecting autoimmune diseases like trinkets. Um, I was trying to leave an abusive marriage. I was living in constant pain and I felt buried alive in my body, just always in pain um, and separated from life. Like I was watching life happen over there on the bench. Um, and I didn't feel like I had any control over my body or over life, which felt very unfair. Um, I did eventually leave that relationship. Um, and that, that winter, I thought I got my freedom. I took back my life, um, moved in my own home. And I was seeing this functional medicine specialist and I met with a bariatric surgeon to finally address these things. Um, but I, and I didn't have bariatric surgery, but I kept ballooning in weight. Um, I went through, I got very sick. I went through pneumonia, two rounds of pancreatitis, my gallbladder ruptured, and I just was in constant pain. And I lost my job in nursing over being just constantly sick, swimming through that brain fog and fatigue all the time. Well, a friend took me out to lunch for my 40th birthday and told me about a program that she had been doing. And I'd watched her lose weight and get really healthy in a really healthy way on this abstinence-based um, program, giving up sugar and flour um, and 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 building health through habits. And I was so impressed with her. But when she talked to me about the program, I like told her to take a cult somewhere else. Like the sugar, alcohol, flour, these are the things that bring joy to my life in an unfair world. And I was not walking away from them. Right. And, and my community identity was as, um, a liberal libationer and with the foodie groups and, and, and being experimental that way. So, but I didn't realize that exactly what she was talking about, that, that I needed to surrender to a total system of addressing health um, in a holistic way in an abstinence-based program through habits was exactly what I needed. Um, so, you know, I told her to to go take it somewhere else. And um, that summer, my divorce trial kind of came to a head. We had the actual trial. And that was really a big point of, of, of transformation for me in that my entire world shattered. Like I, I had domestic abuse substantiated but it was considered irrelevant to economic concerns. And I wasn't granted the legal right to move my son um, to town um, for accredited public schools and resources and having a village and all the things I thought were important values. Um, I really learned the reality um, because I was reprimanded for, you know, trying to drag my child across state lines out of God's country and all of those things. And I was sued for gaining weight. I was sued for not fulfilling spousal duties. Um, and it just, my family and friends didn't show up to save me. It was me and the family law system in our society wasn't fair. Um, and that same, about a month later, I received a terminal diagnosis of autoimmune liver disease. Um, and so it just was sort of a, a realization that 
that the world I was in was unfair. And it was in that return to feeling of victimhood, of feeling like a complete loss of control. And I think it triggered quite a bit of reaching back out to food for coping, um, sugar and flour, especially. And, um, and that addiction-based program to battling obesity came back in with um, some science information. And so I joined the, the program for weight loss. But what I really learned was that habits and surrendering to that system that really does kind of encompass the holistic picture of wellness through habits gave me agency over my own actions. It gave me, and it taught me that that's all I have control over. Um, I don't control the unfair world I live in. I don't get to change it. Um, at this time, I, I choose to keep living despite that. I, despite what's going on around me and committing to one action a day and following through with that, no matter what, just committing to issuing flour, sugar, the committing to the four rules of this program and a priority action each day, writing that commitment down, committing it to another person. And then the next day following up, no matter what that built integrity. And I didn't have that when I came out of that divorce. Um, and it made me realize that I, can be or I am the person that does show up and does follow through with things. And I do have control over my actions and nothing else, but none of us do. So, um, and I, I realize I come from a place of entitlement, but in some ways, but I am still doing this thing like everybody else. Um, so over the next two years, I did Worked this program, shed 170 pounds, reversed terminal liver disease, cured fatty liver and PCOS, um, brought multiple progressive autoimmune diseases into remission, you know, one step at a time. Um, and now we're over five years later here. Um, and I am seeing that it's not, Ooh, I got to some finish line and I'm done. It is, you know, we learn in this circular fashion. And, um, as I face trauma in a different way, I'm in, you know, trauma therapy and, um, working on a few things. And as I learn to deal with those, the inclination to jump back into old coping habits is really strong. Um, and we learn in this circular pathway. So I do see, you know, a little bit of weight gain coming back. I have been struggling more recently with the old autoimmune stuff with migraines and in the heat this summer and things that are, I'm more sensitive to, but it's not a failure or a backslide. It's kind of part of this journey because now I'm not facing trauma as the victim. Um, I'm just, you know, susceptible to old habits that I have spent a lifetime building, you know, this riverbed of habits. So that's where I'm at is, is just trying to really appreciate that those things and knowing I can step back in to the habits one day at a time. Mm, right, right, right. So I, I, what you're saying is that you, that you, you, we, when we think about weight, weight loss, when we enter into recovery for food issues, 
um, from the perspective, I just want to lose weight so I can check that off on my to-do list and call that done and I can just move on with my other problems, right? We, we, we have, a, we have a, a beautiful awakening and we realize, oh, no, oh, there is no finish line if I'm hearing you correctly. You can call it beautiful. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> yeah. um, it's a journey of of discovery of like who I am and my thoughts and what do I need and my trauma and how how do I keep healing and how do I keep showing up for life not as a victim, but as a woman who chooses to live. And when life stuff comes up, how do I meet this without turning back to the food, without turning back to those old comforts? Um how do I keep bringing new tools, new awareness, new presence, new strength, new resources, new friendships, new connections to these problems, right? So I don't go back. Well, and the other thing that really sucks that I learned really quickly is that, you know, you think you set this up, you have this connection point, you have this community, you have, you, you set up what we call the mastermind groups or a buddy accountability person or, and that's a whole nother topic. And then life changes for them. Or this changes and you don't have that. You have to continually work it, every single part of it. Um, so it's kind of embracing that, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That it is absolutely journey. It's a continuation and it doesn't ever, you don't ever get to a point where you get to say, okay, this is set up and now I can move on to this. Right, done. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But it's okay that that's the door I came through. Like, it's okay that that's what got me in the door. And that's why it's important to me as, and it's also why I feel like because I'm surviving, I have a responsibility to support and empower other people to do the same and why it's important to truly meet them wherever they are and respect them as the experts, wherever they come from and wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So in the early days, you finally think, okay, I have a deadly autoimmune disease. This I, I'm desperate enough that I'm going to even consider giving up the sugar flour and the alcohol. Um, talk to us about what the first couple of months or, you know, let's say first three months was like. What do you remember from five years ago? What that was like when you first stepped on that path? Well, I, like I said, I was completely shattered at realizing life is really unfair and I don't get what I think I deserve like with with the divorce with the right to leave an abusive partner like that wasn't supported and I was really disillusioned um and I was looking at going under to bariatric surgery when I could get insurance and stuff figured out um and so I never really intended to do this long term I didn't I was just going to try it as one last thing before I went for surgery, before I did this other thing, as I started a new job, as I, you know, I had nothing to lose. I had nowhere to go down to. I was literally laying on the floor crying, you know, literally hit the bottom of, and looking up from this bottom well. And that's what it felt like. Um, And at first it felt like a lot of sacrifice, I don't get to eat this. I don't get to have sugar and flour. Well, but I'm only going to do that for now. Um, and it really, and I know that you said just the first few months, but I want to say that it, it has been a continual road to realizing it's not sacrifice. It's getting to live life. It's getting to show up. It's getting to be present. Um, you know, the habits, the the things that I work on, 
when we practice a skill, let's say I, um, I'm going to practice a recipe um, so that when I'm making it the next day, I'm not trying to figure out each and every part. It lets me practicing it or doing or, or building a habit lets you invite the rest of the experience in as part of the journey. It frees you up to have that journey and be part of the journey and be present for that journey and invite others into it. Um, so if I practice, like I said, if I'm, if I'm going to do a recipe, if I, the first time I'm doing it, I'm like, okay, well, if I, you know, you're experimenting with every single part, you have to figure out and troubleshoot everything. But the next day, you know, I can invite my son into the kitchen to make it with me. And it becomes part of my life, not the entire focus of the moment. If that, if that helps, like, yeah. I understand. It's, it's, it's like in the early days of, of building habits, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of focus. It's a lot of bandwidth. It's a lot of Mm -hmm. effort. It's a lot of grind. It's a lot of overwhelm. It's a lot of resentment. Mm -hmm. And then you think if I cannot sustain this, there's no way this much of me can be um, tied up in just Right. Just talk, just trying to get my three meals and no snacks in and like whole food. Right. Like I just, I can't, right. there's no room for anything up, but over time, what happens is as they become habits, they literally, they literally simplify our lives so that we can actually take on, you, you, you don't know that in the beginning, but I think it's such right. a good thing that you said that page that it's hard. It's a grind. You know what? Like I often, and it's okay that you are focused on one thing. It's okay that because you don't make big transformations overnight, you make them one tiny step at a time and it's not linear. And that's what I'm really coming to accept right now is crud. It's not linear. I didn't just get to come here. I have to, as I take on a new part, I have to go back and re solidify this part of the commitment or, but it's also not a, it's also, it feels like such a sacrifice in the beginning, such a restriction mm. and, and the message you're going to, that I got from healthcare providers. Actually, I can't say that I got a lot of support from healthcare providers, um, on what I was doing all of the way, um, when they heard what I was doing, but what I hear from other people are that they get told, oh, well, restrictive eating is, is not good for you. And cutting out any whole food group Sugar's not a food group, people. Hello. Uh, <laughs> it is the single most inflammatory substance we can put in our body to affect, to, to create depression and all sorts of things. But anyway, the the message we will get somewhere, probably from, for me, it was from family and such, is that restricting, you're restricting, you're restricting, but you're not. You are building an opening. You are, you are opening doors to run through later. You're creating opportunities. Mm, I love that. Right. You're, you're, you're digging yourself out from all this weight, right? All, all, yeah, all this weight. And then whoo, you get, you burst out into the sunlight and some fresh air. And, um, I think that's a great analogy. Like you are just stuck in a tunnel in the beginning of abstinence. Um, but the other thing medically, and, and I'm not a doctor, um, and I don't have any, I don't have all the initials behind my name, but from my experience, (laughs) um, the quickest way to reset ourselves cellularly, to rebuild mitochondria, to support our energy, to, um, whatever is, is abstinence. That's why 
short-term fasting works. That's why, um, you know, total abstinence works. It's not always possible it, in every aspect as the first thing we do. Sometimes we have to try a lot of other things first or find our way into that. But abstinence in some form is the fastest, just completely eschewing it, is the fastest way to reset whether it's our taste buds or anything that renews itself, you know, um, cellular turnover, anything. Abstinence is the fastest way to, to, to reset. Mm -hmm. The hardest and the fastest, the most effective, like the most potent, but you got, you, you, yeah, you got to be ready for it. And, And if for many people, it's, it's a slow harm reduction journey They get rid of the the sweet mm-hmm. beverage first, right? And then maybe they get rid of the sugar and then like, okay, I'll tackle the flour and then maybe I'll, ta- right? Like, and it's that journey. And I love that you're saying that you meet people where they're at. Like, it doesn't matter where you're at. You're As long as you're on the path, you're heading there, you can trust the journey as you're ready to let go. Right. And I think it's important, like I, you know, people go, oh, well, you had already quit diet sodas and stuff. I mean, Quitting diet sodas was harder than quitting smoking, but I was a, you know, a, I was a heavy smoker for 14 years of my life. I was, I was the fat vegan. I was the, not just fat vegan. I was the morbidly obese vegan. And I taught before, long before I did this journey, um, I taught whole food cooking. You know, I, I thought I was doing the, you know, I have all these pictures of my son cooking stuff in the kitchen and, being involved in healthy foods and growing a garden. And I thought I had it together. Um, sometimes it's about consistency, which is not my strong suit as somebody with ADHD. <laughs> um, you know, I definitely fight the consistency and the habits. Um, but, you know, I've worked as a lactation consultant and it's the same thing. People, moms come and they are like, I have tried everything and I cannot get my milk supply to feed my child. I have tried absolutely everything. And I say, and I'm stuck and I'm desperate. And I'm like, I see that you have tried everything. And that's exactly the problem you have, or or that's exactly what you're struggling with is that you have tried everything and you've thrown everything against the wall and nothing, no one of those things is being done at the dose with the consistency to make a difference. So let's back off. Let's stop all of it, cut it all out and try one thing, you know, give up one thing, try to add one thing. Um, and it's night and day, you know, but I think a lot of it is addressing stress, managing stress and the body's reactions um, Two, we have that crippling fatigue in the beginning of any abstinence-based program and some of that. I mean, people talk about detox, but I think more of it is one thing that, you know, physiologically, when we look at, when you give up sugar, when you give, and I say give up, I shouldn't use that language, I'm sorry. When you walk away from sugar and you abstain from sugar, you, um, or you would make any major dietary change, whether it's a big caloric restriction or adding a ton of fiber in, your body for the first 24 hours, 48 hours can go into fight, flight, or freeze every 17 minutes. Um, And I think Dr. Joan Ifland is the one who really talks about this in depth. But we go into that crisis cycle of of firing up our, our sympathetic system and shutting down our parasympathetic system, which is why we get constipation, why we get all these things when we add a bunch of fiber. Um, Because our body panics that we're about to go into famine. 
And that's the single biggest drive that we fight against for survival is fear of famine. Um, so every 17 minutes, your brain goes, oh, wait, we're facing famine. Oh, wait, we're facing famine and goes into panic in that full panic alert every 17 minutes. And then after 48 hours, it kind of backs off a little bit. And then after 72 hours, it backs off a little bit. Um, but we are fighting ourselves constantly going into full fight or flight every few minutes, several times an hour for those first 10 days. That's exhausting. Mm. And that depletes our resources. Mm. Interesting. Too. Yeah. And our willpower. Yeah. So. Yes, yes, yes. I clearly recall back in my 12-step days, there was an expression that whatever you put in front of your abstinence in the early days before it's a mm -hmm. habit, whatever you put before it, you will lose. And I remember thinking, what? That's so dumb. But <laughs> you learn the wisdom of that. And that's just taking taking us back to that, that, that comment you said that just one thing, right? Just for now, just narrow your focus to, I just have one job to do today to eat my three meals, no snacks, whole foods. Thank you. Right. And, and gosh, if the laundry doesn't get done and I kind of barely make it through my work day and my kids barely gets to bed in one piece, like it's okay That's for today. That's like, and that, that is something I still, I actually still really struggle with because in the beginning I have a child and in the beginning, you know, it was like, okay, I'm getting my life on track. I'm getting myself. So for today, if he eats some crud, processed crud for this meal because I'm getting myself together. It's okay for today. But after a few years of that, it start it starts to be like, okay, how can I better <laughs> also bring him in? And it's a continual message that I really have to hear. You don't get to put your recovery program on the shelf or mark it off as done and put something else in front of it. Okay. So this is in place. Now I can jump on this. It always has to come first. And I have to say it's not been first most recently in my life mm -hmm. and I'm struggling because mm -hmm. of it. Yep. Um, and I'm struggling to find that commitment piece and rebuild having that level of, I don't like the word accountability. I say externalized motivation because I recognize with ADHD, I am strongly encouraged to show up for others and it is motivating to me to get something done, to show up if I tell someone else I'm going to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the motivation. It's not accountability because accountability is so punitive and mm. we have enough of that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Abstinence first, everything else second. And I'd be like, yeah. come on, I've got a job. I, I was a single mom as well. When I first got um, abstinent, the first four to five years, it was just my sky, my dog, Sandy and I, and, you know, like to me, it was just, woo, just as long as everyone got to bed in one piece. Uh, um. You know, I did my I did my job. I was I was in survival mode. And then all of a sudden this program comes in with all of these demands and this is your pr new priority. And I'm like, I don't have space for this time for this priority, right? Like, ain't nobody got time for all this 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 work just so that I can, you know, stay abstinent. And then you realize over time that it's such a foundation that it it enabled me to be really clear about what my priorities were. There was a lot of stuff I was doing and spinning around on and not being smart about because, because when I'm in the chaos with the food, my life is chaos too. What else would you like to share about your journey of coming into, you know what, in a different conversation on another day page, you <laughs> said, you, I wrote it down. I thought she nailed it. You said that what my work around 
addiction and obesity and all those things uh, brought me was peace, simplicity, and freedom with food. And I'm like, that is exactly why we're doing what we're doing. Peace with food, the simplicity around food, and the freedom we feel, not the deprivation, the genuine sense of freedom. So is there anything more you would like to say about your journey to peace, simplicity, and freedom? Well, I mean, I think that idea of the habits give us the ability to open up our life to be the journey, but give us the, uh, the, the building that, because like I said, with ADHD, I fight against the word simplicity. I fight against boredom. Um, and I'm always chasing the new, the novel thing. And so kind of one of my focuses right now in my own therapy is to celebrate every time I say no to something new, to adding something onto my plate. Cause I do a few, I do. I am involved in a few things um, and instead choose to lean into simplicity or lean into a prior commitment and deepen that experience. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I am working on celebrating every day. And I think, um, you know, I'm working on um, a certificate in applied positive psychology. And so that's where that comes from. Just complete bias there, but it is so important to celebrate each thing that we do, each each positive thing, because we have this negative bias, right? We have this bias to be a victim to our to, to the society, to our world at large, to what's happening to us. But the world isn't happening to us. We are creating it from our own experience in the moment, in the now. You know, there, um, and I think that's the biggest thing I think about. You know. I, the, one of the the biggest critiques I have about twelve step programs, and I'm not going to like go into to super depth, but is this whole idea of rectifying the past or reconciling the past? And while I feel like it's important for society as a whole to maybe reconcile some past indiscretions and that lead to current oppressions and things like that, um, we can't change the past. And most of the time when we try, we're really only hurting ourselves or others or making it worse. The past is our, you know, the story that we create in the now through the lens of trauma, through these other things. And we're the only ones that have it, you know, we've written this story that no one else has read. Um, and that's what the past is. We can't fix it in the past. We can only deal with it in the now and we can't deal with the future. So we can only commit to today and that's okay. And, and, you know, I started this by saying, well, I'm not giving this up forever, but I can commit today to not doing sugar. Um, but that's how I gave up or, or got rid of diet Coke in my life. That's how I got rid of smoking. That's how I got rid of everything else was saying, okay, I'm not going to do it right now. I can do it later tomorrow, another battle, but today not going to do it. Um, and it's really hard to bring it back down to that level of in the moment, in the moment, and also not just see this accumulation of moments as overwhelming. Mm -hmm. mm, that's so articulate. It's precisely why we use food. It's why we overthink, we overdo. We don't want to be in the moment. We don't want to be present because that's where everything catches up with us. We notice, ah, I'm in pain or I need to make some changes or... I can hear, I can hear feedback from my body or my soul. Well, but at the same time, it the now is kind of the freedom from all that cumulative stuff because 
I don't know where I'm paying rent in two weeks. I don't know how this is going to go. I've been in chronic pain. I've been all these things, but you know what? Right now, in this moment, I'm pretty darn good. I'm sitting in an air conditioned home. Like I said, don't know where the roof is coming from in the future. Um, and I've been going through so much, but right now in this moment, I'm sitting in an air conditioned home with the ability to make food and my dog and my kiddo, you know, are safe and healthy in this house in this moment. So in this moment, life is pretty good. And that's the irony. Mm -hmm. That's the irony is that we use food to keep us from being in the moment because we're afraid of it, but there's nothing to fear that it's actually learning how to come into the present moment and just to be present. And and there's so much fear of our feelings. There's so much like, oh, that distress bounce. Let me go hit the cupboards, right? And we well, realize- survival instinct, right? Mm-hmm. But I think also we can't compete with, and this is, I think, something I've talked to you about too in the past. We can't compete with high dopamine foods or responses or escapes. So if we're chasing the happy, if we're chasing the food may make us feel, may give us that dope, that super processed food is going to give us a dopamine hit. I mean, just is sugar is going to give us a dopamine hit. Sexy food is going to give us a dopamine hit. So that is one re- one reason that for my program, it's very abstinence based. I don't say black and white because I eat a lot of vibrant colors, right? But I keep my food very simple in the sense that I eat a big bulk of veggies and I have a small amount of protein and I, you know, weight and measured amount of these things. I don't cook recipes anymore. Um, I became somewhat because I had to at the beginning decide that I'm not going to be the person because I was a big baker. I was the person who brought the baked goods. I was the person who taught all this healthy eating, big meals and fanfare. And I realized a lot of my addiction was to the ceremony and the pump and the circumstance and the sexiness of making food. But that was celebrating the food. That was celebrating the thing I was addicted to. So to live with food, because we still have to eat. And I, as I mentioned, I've been on the other side of extreme restrictive eating of just, okay, I'm not going to eat because that gives me control. I've, I've seen both sides. I don't do the middle very well. Um, So, you know, I forgot where I was going with that, but (laughs) we can't compete with the dopamine. So I don't try to find no sugar foods or substitutes for comfort favorites. I don't try to replace food traditions with more food traditions. And one of the biggest things for me when I started this program, um, and and there are several abstinence-based you know, programs which say no sugar, no flour, no processed food and all of that, it was to support the, the local community and make kind of get-togethers with those community folks not based around a meal. Because where else in life do we <laughs> um, go out and it's not around a meal or food? When do we get together that's not a potluck or a, you know, well, at least pre-pandemic. But, and and I dated for the first time in in like a decade, (laughs) not that long ago, last year. And when I was first starting dating, it was somebody who was not doing, you know, a food recovery program. And how do you go on a date if it's not 
meeting at a restaurant or doing things around food. Um, so I've really worked to cultivate, you know, I, I go to hiking groups. Yes, we they often go out to eat afterwards, but it doesn't mean I have to eat their food. I don't make recipes because I'm not a foodie anymore. I had to break up with and really grieve that identity. And I think that's the biggest thing I wanted to talk about because that's kind of my specialty, you know, <laughs> being my first degree is in anthropology and then I did journalism and, and personal stories. And, and now I'm, you know, a nurse and I care about people's stories and I really see human beings um, as storytellers. Like that's how we create our world. So that's how we create our identity. And that's how we're going to make life changes, right? Is through how we change our storytelling. We create our world around us. It doesn't, create us. It doesn't make us do anything. It doesn't take anything away from us. We create it with our storytelling. So, and, and some people use parts work therapy. Some people use expressive arts or storytelling therapies or art therapy or um, anything that really gets at that. I think that core of how we define ourselves um, to make the changes. It's, that's why mantras help too, is because it's reinforcing that I am a person who does this rather than, all right, I'm giving this up for today. Um, but for me, I had to, to instead of competing with the high dopamine choices, whether it's social media or food, um, I don't replace it. I don't, I don't try to find an alternative to it. Uh, or I do try to find an alternative to it. I keep the food simple. It is not just finding a sugar-free um, flower free version of this or that, right? Because ultimately, if I keep chasing that, I'm going to fall back to using that, the sugar. Um, and the single biggest thing I can do for my health is to avoid those inflammatory foods. Mm -hmm. Right. That you, that you just decided to stop partying, with food altogether, that you stopped the expectation that there was a way to hang on to the pleasure without running the risk that you'll go back to the real hardcore, hard, hard drug foods. <laughs> yeah. And I started really celebrating and building up, finding joy in other ways that fit with my integrity. And I mean, if we look at, I don't know, the, the definitions of, of joy versus happy, you know, the, the joy being that finding that th those moments of, of pleasure in the moment that's in line with your integrity is so much better and more sustainable and wonderful and deep than happy joy or the comfort that I get when I go get something out of the freezer um, after a long day of work and collapse on the sofa. It's choosing to, to live this life instead of be entertained by it. Because that oh, doesn't ever. That's a good line. <laughs> yes, really great. Right, I get off that it, bench, as you were saying. Get off the bench. Yeah, the yeah. But I mean, it really was, and it was scary at times to make the to continually make the choice. I'm going to step into life um, when you've lived your entire life sitting on the bench. And I think about like sitting on this bench on the side of a swimming pool or something, and watching everybody splash around and have fun. And I was the one sitting on the sideline because I wasn't going to get a bathing suit. I wasn't going to, you know. And I really chose, okay, I'm going to step into the bathing suit. I'm going to be exposed and I'm going to jump into life. 
but you have to always make that decision and it's scary and it's hard, Mm -hmm. but there's so much greater pleasure and wonderful things on the other side of making that decision and doing that step. And, and, you know, greater joy comes, you have to go through something hard to get there, I think. Um, How long did it take you to lose your 170 pounds? I did it because the journey very quickly became not about losing weight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very, very quickly, I realized, oh, like I may have come in for this, but it is giving me so much more. I, I, I tossed the scale out the window. I mean, like I stopped weighing myself. So it, I shed it over two years, I would say about, Mm -hmm. but you know, I went from like a, a four X women's size in America to a size four, you know, jeans. Like if we're looking at four X to size four or 28 to size four, whatever, you know, measure. And I know sizes have changed over time and it's not a good, but from that size body to that size body. And it was about two years, but there were plateaus in there. Um, and there were, periods of, of really successive weight loss. And then there were periods where I might've stayed the same weight for six months. So it was not a like, but it was a steady. Yep. Steady decline. Yeah. (laughs) And my next question was going to be at what point, at what point did you let weight, weight loss go as, as even, I know it got you in the door and then you, almost everyone says at some point I uncoupled what I was doing with food from my desire to lose weight. When did that uncoupling happen for you? Day one of boot camp, (laughs) day one of doing the program. Like I got in it and I really quickly realized the um, integrity that well, and I think there were talks. So the program I did has had an introductory boot camp, which is your abstinence program, which is your initial step in your first 28 days, your first, but this, it was 12 weeks, but, and it was all I committed to doing the abstinence for. Right. And, but it, where you cold Turkey went to these rules of life and shut out these. And like for this eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks, I'm not going to stay up late. I'm going to go to bed every night and I'm going to get up every morning really early. I'm going to be a person who sees the sunrise every day. That is my that is my sign that I am successfully walking the path is that I'm getting up to see the sunrise. When I start missing sunrises, I know that I'm falling into the old comfort habits of staying in bed, trying to wrap myself in those dreams of affection or comfort or, or whatever else that I'm staying in bed and getting on social media or watching TV or streaming, whatever. Um, yeah, it was really quick. Once I got into the program and started the program, like truly started it, I was like, oh, it's not going to be about this. It's the habits and the system that's saving my life right now. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing I've also learned this past year with feeling, you know, I said I was backsliding and I was doing all this and no, it's really that we talk about if we put food first, you know, food has to be the first thing we do. But, and now I have the, the lenses of lifestyle medicine with the six pillars of, of wellness or the wellness wheel with the eight dimensions of wellness or, or, you know, I have all these different ways to define it now, but basically we don't ever just tackle the food or the weight. We are 
having to interweave the sleep, the activity, though the the amount of um, different activities that we engage in and the connection piece, right? The these different dimensions of wellness have to be part of it. But we put the food first as like a cornerstone habit. And it's the first thing we get control of or that we realize we control our actions around this. And it's the last thing to go out the door. And what I'm realizing, because I, I, I'm I'm never touching sugar and flour. That's not negotiable. That is that is that is disgusting <laughs> to me now. But I do relent on the other habits. I have been staying in bed late regularly and then not making time for my mental wellness, my what I call pre-reactive time to external stimuli. Like I'm jumping in and oh, now it's time to run to this. And it's really crucial to kind of nail down that 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 it's it's all of the habits. It's the holistic approach that it really is. You're just using food as a bookend. And so I'm in that phase of like, I can let these other habits go and it's not working. It's not creating. I'm on this treadmill of trying to get the food back, trying to get the food back, but I need to do it all. Got it. Yep. That self-care piece is an essential part of making it possible to stay on our path. Yeah. And it's really comes down to realizing self-care is not about selfishness or selflessness or oh, I'm going to create time for myself. It is really refilling the cup and making the rest of it possible. Totally. The sustainability piece. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, absolutely. It regulates our nervous system. It recharges our battery. It it gives us a feeling of having given to ourselves before we go out in our busy lives and give to the world and it's, it's, it's life isn't worth living. You can give up sugar, flour, turn your health around, lose all your weight. It just won't be worth living. If the self-care is not there, it's so tied to our quality, quality of life. Well, you won't sustain it if and you can't self-care sustain. is not there. Mm-hmm. If, um, and self-care includes connection, self-care includes, you know, everything else, but I'm not going to be able to show up for my son, which is again, when it comes to my, what I know motivates me, it's showing up for others. It's being able to support and empower other people to make the same changes. And I know we talked about this before the recording, but I just went to this health conference that really talked about, you know, recognizing people where they're at, but truly respecting them. So if we take, and I'm just going to use the word addict, I'm an addict. You know, if we take an addict and respect them as for their living experience of that, they are the rebels of society. They're the ones who are experimenting with different coping and recognizing the society is not working for me. They're the ones standing up to that. They may not be choosing healthy choices um, in a healthy way. Maybe they are for them, but the choice they're making may not be healthy, but they're the ones who are going to change it because they're the ones who are opposing it. So they called addicts, um, folks with neurodivergence, um, folks on the LGBTQIA, two-spirited plus community, all of these folks trying to, to live life outside of the model of well, wellness that our sick society creates are rebels and respect them as the ones who are going to make the changes to society to make it better for all of us, right? Because we live in a sick society and we're choosing every day to survive and lean into life 
inside a sick society. Mm-hmm. It doesn't support this wellness. Our healthcare system does not support this life of wellness. And everything we do rebels against it. And that's hard and it's exhausting. And it's a continual choice. And bravo to everybody who does that. Even if it's for one day at a time or one day, you did it. You can do it again just for today. Mm -hmm. Ah, Fantastic. Are there any final words you'd like to share, Paige, before we wrap up today? Oh, my gosh. I feel like I've talked ad nauseum. So I I tend to be pretty verbose. So Mm. I can't think of anything. I'm sure I'll think of 20 things in five minutes. (laughs) Totally, totally. Well, thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom, your time with us today. It was really appreciated. Oh, well, thank you for all the work that you do in getting just a message of wellness, life, and vitality out there. There are ways out and through. Mm, thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.